0: Hey everyone, and welcome to this edition, another edition of Animated Girl Profiles Confidential. And as you could see, you pretty much knew we were going to get to this one. You probably just didn't think it was going to be this soon, But here she is, the I believe the twelfth here on the twelfth edition, I believe, of the Animated Girl Pro, Animated Profiles, and that is Princess Sally Acorn of Sonic the Hedgehog comic books. SATAM um, and basically the overall franchise. And you know, I heard what Jawbreaker had to say in his Furry Girl Profiles edition featuring Sally. And you know, I don't know if I'm gonna take as long as Jawbreaker did to kind of talk about you know my take on this whole situation. But Sally indeed has a unique history. I mean it is true that originally she was inspired by one of the animals that you would save out of the capsules in the Sonic the Hitchhog 1 and 2 games. <laughs> Initially, the character that she's based on was a guy named Ricky Acorn. But, as time went on, they transitioned Ricky into a female character, which is not common in media whatsoever, nowadays anyway, and made him Sally Acorn. Now, true, there are still indications of a Ricky uh, Squirrel, or Acorn, or whatever you want to call him, in other forms of the sonic media, fan-made or not. Sally, however, is a character that has a very unique history. Now, like Jawbreaker said in his, there have been different incarnations. Over in the UK with the Fleetway comics, Sally Acorn there was more based on her Ricky Squirrel inspiration. She had a red ribbon, and I think she was a bit of a news reporter. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Kind of original, right? News reporters, stuff like that. Yeah, kind of a original, from what I understand. Maybe I'm wrong. But when Sally... But when they were coming up with characters uh, to create, to associate with Sonic... Outside of the video games, when it came to of course the eventual cartoons and uh the eventual comic book that still goes on today, of course, the character of Sally was considered, and lo and behold, she was created along with a few other characters now Sally's initial design, and you could watch uh jawbreaker's Furry profiles on go profiles on this. Sally Acorn's initial design was that of almost a yellow cat. I'm not lying. Yeah, she was supposed to be a a ground squirrel or something like that, but her initial design made her look like she was a yellow cat. She had yellow fur, a red dress, kept the red ribbon, or more of a red headband or something like that, blonde hair. She even had lipstick, I think, and yeah. I think she even had red shoes, but her initial appearance was way different than what you see now. So that was basically the original design for her when they were coming up for the... I mean, that was the initial original design for her when they were coming up for ideas for the characters for Sonic At Or originally, I think, Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog. But thankfully, according to some, that, that design was... Uh, uh, passed over. But there's a lot of fans that do uh, pictures that show the different evolutions of Sally's design throughout the years. And of course, a lot of them start with the Ricky Acorn design, and, and then they go from there. When Sally first appeared in the comics, because I think the comics did come a little before the Saturday M series, but when Sally appeared in the comics initially, she had... Well, basically, orange fur and yellow hair—that's not a lie. That was in, I think, Sonic issue zero, I believe, when they were starting. When Archie Comics was doing the miniseries before going into going into the initial series, or going into the series that we now know and love, or we now know love and read, I should say. Sally was initially yellow. I mean, not initially. but was initially orange. Brownish orange fur, with yellow hair. So, yeah, Sally went through a, a, a huge, a huge design, if you will, a design change, if you will, uh, when it came to her character, because in the follow, because when the comic first, because when the uh, comic started after that, and I don't know if it continued on, uh, in the other miniseries issues before the initial run of the comic began. But suddenly, Sally went from that orange, in the orange uh, fur, yellow hair design to what would be known as probably one of her more recognizable early uh, designs, and that is the pink fur and black hair. Although, in the pilot for the Saturday M series, Heads or Tails, it's pink fur, but it's kind of uh, reddish brown hair. But it's the same original design she had when she, um, when she first appeared in the comic. Now, what's funny about this, though, is that design of Sally, the pink fur, black hair, or in the case of the Saturday morning cartoon, reddish-brown hair design, that original design of hers was supposed to be her official design. As a matter of fact, at a CES expo or convention back around, I think, 1992 or 93, they had, I think it was 92 maybe, 93, I'm not really sure. 93 may have been cutting it a little too close. I would say around 92. They showed an introduction to what the Saturday Morning Cartoon Series was originally going to be like. And everybody was basically colored and designed into... In the, same dizeller, in the same designs and in the same designs and color schemes as they were in the comics, everybody initially had the comic book design in the intro. Now, what's funny is I think that intro was supposed to be used for the pilot, Heads or Tails, but surprisingly, when Heads or Tails first appeared, which ironically was the last episode of the season. <laughs> Of season one that is, when Heads or Tails first initially debuted as the last episode uh, of the first season, the intro they used was the traditional Saturday Saturday AM episode. It was the traditional Saturday morning episode. So nobody knew what they were in for. Everybody thought, oh well, they just changed it up for just one episode. But I'll be honest with you, I'll be honest with you folks. I was one of those fans that pretty much felt that something was different about this. It was like, well, wait a minute. You're taking the characters... Well, not taking the characters, but when I saw this, I was like, hmm, something's different. Because at that time, you know, I was initially used to every episode having Sonic's name in it, except for this one. And I'm thinking, hmm, something's a little different. And of course, when the intro started, and then you hear the voiceover... So and, and stuff like that. The voice well not a narration or anything, but a voiceover of uh, a pilot or something like that. And then you see Robotnik's design and you're like and then you even see the swap bots, you're like or even Snively you're like, wait a minute, this looks this feels different. This feels like it's animated different. And then when you see the swap bots for the first time in that episode, you're like Holy smokes. I don't know if you see a swap bot on the Robotnik ship or not. I can't remember I got looking. But when you first see the Swapbots, in any case, you're like, "Holy smokes, this is this is a comic book episode." This episode's like straight out of the comic books. And sure enough, when you see Sonic, you see when you see uh, Rotor, you see Sonic, you see Tails, and then eventually Sally and Bunny and Antoine, you're like, "Yep, this is right out of the comic books." But what you didn't know at the time was that was initially the original idea for the series. And that was the initial idea for the series, not what we got, not what we got later on. And, you know, Sally, you know, eventually she would get the traditional look that she's had up until about 2011, let's put it that way, 2011, 2012, initially about 2011, 2012, because... Well, with the exception of the vest and everything, Sally would basically get that traditional look that she had, that you see, basically, nowadays. As you'll probably see in between, if I can post a picture of that up here. Sally initially got that look right off the bat, you know, right in the official first episode, Supersonic, of the series. Now, the following season, Sally, of course, in the cartoon, would gain the vest. Now, from what I understand and from what other people have understood and read, uh, the reason Sally was given a vest was due to parental complaints that she's female, but she's not fully clothed. That she's practically naked or something like that. I don't know what it was, but I know there were some initial complaints that Sally was naked and that she needed to be... Uh, fully clothed and everything, or at least have some kind of article of clothing. So, you know, that's what I got. So basically the following season, season two, she ended up getting her vest. Now, her vest would become an iconic part of her for years to come, not just in the Saturday morning series, but in the comic books as well. Now, the one thing about Sally in in the Saturday morning series is she had some episodes focused around her. There's no doubt about it. But what was good about this is even in the first season, they had episodes focused around her relationship with other characters, like Tails. You know, like Sonic and Sally is a good example of her relationship with Tails and how Tails could have, and how Tails, out of everybody, could identify that the Sally that was in Knothole was a fake. And that the real Sally might have been must have been captured, so, and that he, in his connection with her, because she would always come into his room, do a bedtime story, do an impression of a wicked rich, you know. He he knew, he knew, because he had that special bond with her, that special connection. Now. Now, as far as the second season goes, as far as the second season goes, that was basically a more. That was more continuity-based than anything. Now, you could say, well, Blast of the Past kind of throws that continuity out of whack. A little bit. A little bit. I mean, yes, Blast of the Past, in my opinion, should have been the first uh, two episodes, or should have been the first story arc to kick off the second season. Don't get me wrong. But it does connect in some ways. Because in an episode that specifically focuses on Tails officially becoming a freedom fighter... Sally acknowledges that Sonic would go off on his own at the same age Tails was in this episode, which I think was 10 years old, but it would go off without permission. Kind of throwing back to the uh, Blast of the Past uh, episode, to the ending of Blast of the Past Part 2, where Sally basically has Rosie keep her promise of, hey, stay in Knothole, don't leave, trust me on this. So that kind of throws it back to that. But in the second season, we got to see more about Sally Sally than I think anybody, if you're a fan of Sally, would have expected. And if you're not a fan, you probably didn't want to see. But if you were a fan, you probably weren't expecting. Because in the second season, like I say, it was with, the exception, with somewhat of an exception of Blast of the Past. Maybe not. Um, Sally was the main focus of a lot of Freedom Fighter groups. You see, in the first, at the end of the first episode, we find out that there's a list that Sally's father has of other Freedom Fighter groups. But we also find out these other Freedom Fighter groups are looking for Sally. Because Ari, who was an, a character introduced in the second season, that, that says that there are other groups like him, and, that, and he mentions Sally's name, and he says, Sally, they're looking for Sally. So basically, they're looking for her to kind of get together to form a network, as we find out later on. Now, again, the reason I say there's a little bit more focus on Sally here is because of the fact of not just that plot point of other Freedom Fighter groups trying to find her, but it's also important because it's the, it's the season where she finally not only reunites with her father, even though it's in Blast of the Past, uh, Part 1, but she also finally finds out where her father has been. Now, this is something that the show, like some other shows, what did very well. It kind of continued on some elements from the first season. see, there's an episode in the first season where Sally goes off with Antoine to try to search for her father. And we didn't really know at first exactly what was going on. But, you know, lo and behold... You know, she you know, she does discover clues as to maybe where her father could be or maybe where he's not. But knows he's still around. But she doesn't know where until we get into the second season in the episode The Void. Where she finds out what some of us probably already what some of us already knew by watching Blast of the Past Part two, that her father was in the void. So and this is also the episode that is a prelude to Doomsday the Doomsday Project saga, the final four episodes. The final four the final four episodes from Cry the Wolf, Druid Hedge, Spy Hog, and Doomsday Project itself was basically a prelude because not only does she get the Freedom Fighter list from her dad, but at least she knows her fa- they're gonna be able to get her father out there out of there somehow, some way. Now Again, you know she did have her moments in the second season you know I mean just the fact that she you know, she you know like I said she had her moments there's no doubt about it but she also had some funny moments at times and sometimes also at the expense of Dulcie uh, Dulcie's character I'll talk about her later was was brought in a bit of a little bit as Balance out that comic relief with Antoine, if you will, but more like the heart of the group, in a sense. But more of that comic relief to balance out Antoine, because you see, in because you see in the episode, because there are several episodes when she's not, you know, like this. Like I said, let's see, uh, in Druid Hedge at the beginning of Druid Hedge, she lands. She's learning to land properly by this time. But if she's landing and it's in the rain, she's spinning around and around and she crashes in to a few items, but it's okay it's no but the landing's all right and when she's asking about Sally if Sally's okay, you hear Sally going like, think, eh, you don't count my stomach so she has had her comedic moments, and in a sense that you could tell that with the second season they were going more for going a little bit more like a little bit more humorous in many ways, especially with the villain at times. Again, I think what it was, and what it was is that maybe some parental groups, not saying who, probably got on on the people uh, after the first season and said, look, you know, it's great and everything, nice, it's epic, it's got a good Star Wars, kind of Star Wars-like feel, but it might be a little too dark and serious. And these are morphic animals you have. So why not make it a little bit more light and humor? And that's, I guess that's what they did, because I think maybe they wanted all ages to watch it, and not just like pre-teens and stuff. But, again, I digress. But, like I said, um, you know, Sally had her moments. There's no doubt about it. In fact, one of her biggest moments, in my opinion, came at the end of Doomsday, when they used the deep power stones to destroy the Doomsday Project machine. See what happens is there's two things about the about these power stones. One, they can create incredible destruction or give or create incredible power. Well, of course, Sally and Sonic use the incredible power part, and what that does is it transfers a bit, transfers Sonic's basically Sonic's power of speed and everything right into Sally, giving her for the first time the feeling of what power rings, of what power rings feel like. And what I mean by transferring his power of speed is basically she now run she can now run as fast as Sonic by holding on to Sonic's hand she runs just as fast as him she does, and it does as I've pointed out several times kind of transfer a bit of his personality into her because after they destroy the machine and they high five each other you know I guess she feeling a little mischievous wonders. You know, if a high-five does that, what happens with a kiss? And Sonic's like, whoa, hold on, I, I don't want to find out. Out of here. Bam! <laughs> so you can tell a little bit of Sonic was transferred into her a bit right there. A bit of his personality. So, but that was a big moment, I think, if you're a fan of the character. You know, at least you got to see somewhat of a super version of her in some ways. Now, as far as the comics go, like I said... You know, even though it took a little longer, Sally did end up getting her official, more traditional Saturday-am uh, look, By the, I think by at least issue 15 or 16, she ended up getting it. Now, the vest really didn't appear that much, except maybe on covers and stuff, but didn't officially appear in story until we got into the late, until around, I think, issue 17 and 18 and 19, when, we started build, when Archie Comics started building towards her eventual three-part miniseries comic book. Yeah, she had a three-part miniseries comic book called Princess Sally. And these backup stories, as well as a 48-page Sonic in-Your-Face special comic book, helped set that up. It also set up the fact that she was going to gain another love interest, which would create a love triangle between her, Sonic, and... And a character named Jeffrey St. John. Now, here's what's funny, though. In reality, Ben Hurst was planning to do the exact same thing for Season 3. He was going to introduce somebody new or bring in somebody to kind of create a romantic love triangle between Sonic, Sally, and whoever was going to be brought in. Now... From what, from what I understand, this would have been temporary and Sonic and Sally would have been together at, at the end of it. That's my assumption from what I've heard and from what I've read. But anyway, yeah, she got her own miniseries for three issues. And this was at a time when Archie Comics was testing the waters by giving several characters, popular characters, their own miniseries. After Sally, there was Tails, and then Knuckles got his, and, well, Knuckles... We all know what came from that. So, yeah, Sally had her own miniseries, and she still had a lot of stories even afterwards focused around her. As a matter of fact, in issue 29, she allows herself to be roboticized. I'm not kidding. You think think what I'm going to talk about in a little bit was the first time? No. Issue 29 was the first time. Basically what happened was um, the Freedom Fighters along with, with Dulcie, who made her comic book debut here, had shot down or taken down one of the stealth bots. And one of the stealth bots was carrying a portable de-roboticizer. Now, of course, one might wonder why Robotnik would have a de-roboticizer on his, ha- on his hands or in his possession... But then one could probably think, well, what if he accidentally roboticizes a part of himself or something like that again? You're going to need something to de-roboticize it. So, yeah, they had a de-roboticizer. So, long story short, Sally comes up with an idea to allow herself to be roboticized, which was attempted in the Princess Sally miniseries. But now she's deciding to go through with it with the initial plan that being roboticized will allow her to know more about Robotnik's operations, relay the information to everybody, and then eventually, when they've got enough information, allow herself to be de-roboticized. And it seems like that's a perfect plan. Even Rotor gives her a device that will allow her to keep her free will. Unfortunately, the device, while she's um, acting out, being captured and everything, basically playing along with being captured and roboticized, and then eventually, or eventually, roboticized. The device that would have kept her free will for her falls out of her ear, um, and she ends up being roboticized without it. And thus, she becomes, and thus, she loses her free will. Now, eventually, at the end of the comic, she does get restored. Dulcie apparently, you know, you know, because we learn more about Dulcie in the comic than we did in the show. There's no doubt about that. Uh, Dulcie obviously has this uh, sense that something's not right, something's wrong. So she takes the de-robotizer with her just in case, and she's right to do that because she notices what's going on, breaks through a, you know, flies through a window, uses the de-robotizer to de-robotize Sally, and thus her and Sally do sa- end up saving everybody from robotization as well. And of course, Sally does admit that she failed in the plans because, you know, she didn't exactly, it didn't exactly go the way she was hoping. But Dulcie kind of lightens things up, kind of reassures her, hey, don't worry, it wasn't you that failed, it was Robotnik, and that's why I fired him. Kind of get it, get it fired? So, yeah, that was one of the first times that Sally, even if some people don't like her and want to call her different names and stuff, in wish she never existed, that was one of the first times, if you read the ending of that issue, that she admits she failed at a plan. Because, see, her plan initially was to infiltrate uh, Robotnik's um, you know, base and try to get information. Fortunately, about an issue or so later, the comic decides to take a page out of the Yam book, give Uncle Chuck back his free will by some freak inst- Give Uncle Chuck back his free will by some uh, freak accident. And thus he becomes the spy for the Freedom Fighters. So, that problem was solved. Now, throughout the comics run, Sally has had her moments ups and downs. There's no doubt about it. Of course we all know. Of course we all know about Endgame and stuff. We all know about that. (coughs) Again, like we said, we all know about... End game and stuff. So, and if you don't know, here. If you don't know, quick summary. Sally originally, according to sources and I think Ken Penders himself, Sally was supposed to die in End Game. The original idea was the Sally that would come back would be an would be an android, be basically Robotnik's last revenge, even from the grave. And that android would end up being destroyed, da-da-da. But thankfully that didn't go through because apparently those at Sega said, nope, that's not going to happen. Well, you know, She's too important right now uh, and everything, so we need her kept alive. And my initial thought on the reason she was kept alive, folks, was the fact that at the time, Sega had several Sega World indoor theme parks One of the biggest, being in Sydney, Australia, was she was part of an indoor puppet show. That's right. She was part of an indoor puppet show. In fact, if you went outside of Sega World in Sydney, Australia, you would see a big statue near, I think, a, a water area or something like that. A big old statue of her and Sonic. That's no lie. And like I said, she was part of a play which went through different incarnations. Basically, it would be handheld puppets, kind of, I think, Jim Hansen like puppets, maybe. Maybe. And I think even as far as people in suits or something like that, a la Chuck E. Cheese Cheese or something like that or whatever. And um, it was called. The play that she was part of was called Sonic and Sydney. And. Believe it or not, <laughs> the play was also a bit of a the in the uh, the play was a bit of a musical as well because she sang in this in the show. Yeah, she sang in the show. There's a a part at the end of the play, from what I understand. In fact, I have the soundtrack somewhere uh, where she she's under this control of something like that of Robotniks, and she starts singing for some you know Sonics. You know, Sonic says something or whatever and she starts sing, singing the song Thank You For Being You. That's the song's title, Thank You For Being You. So, yeah, she was a part of that and that's one of the main things I think was one of the main reasons I believe Sega wanted her uh, kept around was because she was a big merchandise pull uh, it, for the Sydney show. Thought about that, trying to get a soda here. But like I said, she was a big draw for the Sydney show. Needed that, but like I said, she was a big draw for the Sydney show, so and also a big merchandise mover. Because if you look online, there was a lot of merchandise with her on there. As a matter of fact, the plushes, whether they were small, medium, or large, you go on eBay, and if you're lucky to find one, they go for a lot of money. I was fortunate enough back in Kansas to get mine for what I did, I saw it on eBay one night. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it and get it. And I kept bidding, and I kept bidding, and I kept bidding. I mean, God had provided me with the money at the time. God, God above had provided me with the money because I had a job at the time. I think it was with Food for Less and Walmart. I can't remember. And I just kept bidding, and I kept bidding, and I kept bidding until the end. And I eventually ended up getting my Sally Acorn Plush. That's not a lie. I ended up getting her for the first time. And it wasn't a large one. I think it was a medium-sized one. It's a medium-sized one. But I ended up getting her. And every time people see pictures of her when I show it off or share pictures of what I have or video of what I have, excuse me there, a lot of fans are like, wow, how much do you want for her? Or, oh, man, you're so lucky. And I would tell people, look, one, she's not for sale. And everything, and I would, and even if they would ask me how much, I would tell them, honestly, hey, let's put it in the two hundreds. There's your answer. I think even when my family asked me how much I paid for it one time, I told them the truth. I told them the honest truth. I said, hey, I spent this much, because the thing is, those kind of plushies are very rare. I mean, I'll be honest with you, if they were to do a bunny rabbit plush. Officially, down the line, or if they would have done it back then as well, people will be clamoring for that as well. I mean, why do you think people who have uh, backgrounds in plush plushy and doll making or plush making, why do you think they make things like that? Because they know people will want them. But anyway, but anyway, I think getting back on track here, I think that's why Sally was initially saved by Sega because of the fact that she was a big merchandise mover for them, mostly in Australia, so that's why they kept her around. Now, did Sally go through some different personality traits throughout her run? Oh yeah, there's no doubt about it. But it all depended on the writer. You know, Carl Bowlers, when he got his hands on the book and became the head writer, I think because Ken Penders was more focused on the Knuckles comics, when he got his hands on, on the book he, it seemed to me, and I think anybody else, that he had some kind of vendetta against the Sally character. So he basically turned her into, uh, as some people call it, and excuse my language, Lord, for saying this. Excuse my language, Lord, for saying this. He turned her, in the eyes of many people, into a whiny, bitchy character. That's the truth. Carl Bowlers had turned her into a whiny, bitchy character. Why? Why did he do that? Well, apparently he had some kind of vendetta against her, and I think he wanted to push his own pairing for Sonic, that being Sonic and Mina Mongoose, or Mina Mongoose. I don't really know. It was either that, or according to what Jawbreaker said in one video he did when he was talking about the mandates Sega had put down in the past few years, that it was either that, or, was he, or Carl Bowlers was going to put Amy and Sonic together finally. Yeah, basically, Carl Bowlers, according to what Jawbreaker said in his video about the mandates, I think it was about the mandates, uh, basically said that Carl Bowlers had a plan in mind to get Sonic and Amy together. Like, something was going to happen in a story kind of based around uh, Sonic CD a little bit. And what was going to happen is Sonic and Sally would end up, I don't know, In the water, some kind of on a boat or something. I don't know if it was on a boat or a raft in the river, in the in the ocean or something like that. But as they're drifting back to shore, I guess, uh, basically, Carl Bowles had an idea to have them finally kiss, Sonic and Amy, that is, finally kiss, in that scene, and thus begin a secret relationship, so that Sally doesn't find out. Basically, keep the relationship between each other secret so that Sally doesn't find out. And thankfully, whoever probably found out what Carl Bowlers was going to do or planning put an end to it. And I think that person might have been Ken Penders. Now, not saying Ken Penders didn't have any faults as well. I mean, whatever mess Carl Bowlers caused, Ken Penders did try to clean up, but also added to it. He did. He did add to it because of the fact. That he, he um, didn't get Sally and Sonic together before his end with the comic run. Before his end with the comic, before his run (laughs) with the comic ended. He tried to clean up the messes that Carl Bolas had caused. You know, there were several messes. So he tried to clean them up best he could, but never really cleaned up much after that. I mean... I mean one of the I mean one of the messes a lot of people weren't, uh, were okay with or were not okay with it all depend on how you looked at it was the whole situation with Sally now being single. I mean basically he was—his was Ken Pender's final story, at least one of his final stories. He had Sally temporarily get married to evil Antoine now long story short Antoine was tossed into the anti-Mobius realm and replaced with evil Antoine aka Patch so nobody could tell the difference this of course led to Antoine and Bunny breaking up thanks to Patch's thanks to Patch impersonating him and basically long story short Patch was trying to plot his way to the throne Fortunately, Sonic saw through this, or saw, some, saw something, or saw through this at the... Well, thankfully, Sonic, you know, finally saw through this when he saw that Patch was about to shake uh, Eliza's, who had made his return and reclaimed, reclaimed the throne because he's the oldest and everything. Uh, Sally's brother, that is. You know, he notices this as soon as Evil Antron's about to shake uh, King Elizabeth, Now, King Eliza's hands. But notices some kind of needle, tackles him, and then sees exactly what it is, and then points out that, hey, you're not Antoine, you're evil Antoine. So, yeah, basically, um, he points out that, basically, Sonic reveals the truth, uh, gets the real Antron back, reunites him with Bunny, Sally is single, and, yeah, there you go. Now... And Sonic is still with another character called Fiona Fox who would turn her back on the Freedom Fighters later on because she would become more attractive to Sonic's evil double when he became Scourge. But again, that's another story for another time. But Sally would end up single again, but there were hints, thanks to Ian Flynn, as much as some people may or may not like him, Ian Flynn did throw hints down that they were slowly going to start building back up. They were going to slowly be a couple again. There were hints here and there, here and there. there. There were several hints, no doubt about it. There were, there were several hints. But Ian, like Ken tried, uh, before him had a lot of, <laughs> a lot of mess to clean up. Had a ton of a mess, had a huge mess to try to clean up and clear, clear. So he did the best he could. Up until this day, he's done the best he could. And like I said, he threw out hints here and there that Sally was going to get back together with Sonic. And even though during the Iron Dominion arc, Sally was being courted by Monkey Con, who officially became known as Ken, and they had a bit of a short fling, much to Sonic's uh, jealousy a bit, it was only temporary. Because like I said in several reviews and videos and texts that I and, and typed up, uh, articles that I've done, I should say. Monkey Khan and Sally's relationship in the Iron Dominion arc, as well as spun off into the Journey to the East spinoff, which was part of the Iron Dominion arc in Sonic Universe. Uh, Journey to the e- uh, Journey to the East is in Sonic was a full parter spinoff or addition or extension of Iron Dominion in the Sonic Universe comics. Anyway, I said basically, and I pointed this out to everybody, and they even. And there was some that even, like, yep, Brian was right. He, put, he was right about that. That the whole Sally-MonkeyCon relationship was very reminiscing of several um, one-time relationships that we had seen. I mean, I made it, I made, I basically compared it because, I basically compared it to the Zach Morris relationship he had in the Save by the Bell Hawaiian-style movie. Zach Morris had fallen in love heads over heels, with with this uh, little bit older woman, maybe about a year or two older than him, who was also a mother, he had fallen heads over heels for her, and eventually she for him. Eventually she for him. So, but that only lasted for that movie. We, after the movie, we never heard from her again. We never heard from her again, we never... You know, got any acknowledgement in the series about her? Nothing. It was done. And then the same thing in the uh, episodes where they had summer jobs at a beach house or the beach resort. He fell in love with the beach resort's owner's uh, daughter. And it took time for her, but she fell in love with him as well. And after those episodes were done... Even though they did a flashback, kind of a clip episode, if you will, reminiscing of those, of those uh, summer episodes or the summer job episodes, the Stacy character she became known as was never heard from again. And all because the love interest that he had for the movie and for those summer job episodes were, one, were just for those story arcs. That's all they were. The same with Sally's relationship with Monkey Con. Hers was initially just a a relationship, a temporary fling that she had for him for that story arc. Now, one thing I will say that the, uh, that Ken, that Ian Flynn did that nobody, that you know, not even to say by the Bell writers did for the movie or those uh, summer job episodes, is at least he did a conclusion. At least he had Sally acknowledge that she still had feelings for Sonic. And that until she could sort that out, until she could sort that out, she and Monkey Kong cannot have a relationship. Despite the feelings for each other, despite the fact that they did share one one major kiss, one one final kiss before you know going their separate ways, Sally did at least acknowledge that she still has feelings for Sonic, and until she could figure, you no, know, basically, basically she wants time to kinda of figure out where her heart who her heart belongs to. Now some people may say that's was kinda of stupid, kinda of very reminiscent of Ken Penders and Carl Bowlers, but hear me out. She wanted to take time to figure out whether or not she still had feelings for Sonic. Because there was a part of her that still loved him, still cared for him. And surprisingly you had Monkey Con understand this, but reassured Sally that hey, if he blows this chance you're gonna give him I'll be right there to pick up the scraps. <laughs> so yeah, basically, at least Ian Flynn allowed her to acknowledge that she still had feelings for Sonic and that she basically overall not only wanted to s- figure out if her and Sonic still had one more shot, but she wanted to give Sonic that one last shot. She wanted to give him one last opportunity. and she could t- and I think in a way, the way the character was written here, it was her way, despite how some people may feel about Ian Flynn's writing, it was her own way of acknowledging that maybe Sonic still wants to give it one more go-around as well. And you could see that afterwards when we get into the other uh, stories that follow. Uh, you could see that afterwards with a lot of moments hinting that something was building, that Ian was slowly starting to build up to it. And like I said, it even goes as far As to when Ian first started with the book, he started hinting at it. He started hinting at it and everything, and now he was hinting at it even more so. There were moments here and there. And as he started hinting at it and hinting at it and hinting at it, 2.22 comes around, which ironically was 100 years, not 100 years, but 100 issues later from the last time this happened. That's true. Think about that, folks. One hundred issues in between this happened, well, around one hundred issues, or close to it. But a hundred, nearly a hundred issues later, Ian finally builds up to issue two twenty-two, which kind of is an issue that takes a break from all the action and everything, takes a break from it, and allows and and basically is used as the issue that brings Sonic and Sally back together. It does. That is the initial truth. It brings them back together. Now, unfortunately, the, reu- the reunion, the reuniting, doesn't last too long. It doesn't last too long because basically what happens is, three issues later, Eggman is attacking with his new Death Egg. Everybody goes on board, well, Sonic and Sally go on board, uh, Sonic's getting too much into a fight and everything. Sally goes off on her own to try to disable the Death Egg. And basically, before we, you know, go into the first Genesis Wave story, because this is what started, was at the end of 225. At the end of 225, Sally gets gunned down by a torrent gun. That's the truth. Basically, there's a scene where Sally's running down a hall... And all of a sudden, this big torrent gun comes out of nowhere, points at her. You hear, you see the blam, blam, blam words, words. And just as the Genesis wave is happening, you see nothing but Sally's broken goggles. Now, according to Ian Flynn, what happened to Sally basically, well, as he put it, you could compare what happened to her at the end of that issue going into the Genesis wave as her being turned into Swiss cheese. Yeah. Basically, he just pointed... Basically, he said, her being shot like that, she was being turned into... She had a lot of holes in her body. Let's put it that way. She was turned into Swiss cheese. And a lot of fans, when Ian Flynn Flynn mentioned this, said, Ew, that is disgusting. No, Ian, that's not right. No, 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 no. Now, fortunately... In the Sega Genesis um, arc, which was the first Genesis Wave story, Sally is still alive. It's reminiscing of Sonic 1 and everything because she and her friends are rescued. Rotor is called Boomer again. And long story short, her and Sonic are the only ones that start remembering the real world. And after Sonic does rescue everybody and everything and does help restore everything, you know, he has a little message for Sally. You know, Sally's saying something about, uh, see ya, Sally, or something like that, see you soon. And basically they're brought back to the death egg around the same time that the uh, that Issue 225 ended. Basically around the same scenario. But Sonic, knowing what happened, uh, takes off, saves Sally just before she gets shot down um, by the Torrent gun. And I think she realizes, and she's questioning at first, what are you doing? And then she sees uh, this thing that Sonic had put on the window in, uh, in the, at the end of the Genesis wave, Genesis wave story. At the end of the Genesis Wave story. And then she remembers, oh yeah, you know, this happened. Now, unfortunately, even though Sonic did rescue her from being shot down, he could not save her from her ultimate fate. Basically, again, they had to split up. Sally went with Nicole into the heart of the death egg and saw and found out that the death egg was on the ver- was basically a global had basically been built as a global roboticizer. Yeah. Eggman had basically built it as a global roboticizer, and that he was going to use it to roboticize everybody in the entire world. So Sally decides. That, you know what, she was given a second chance at life. And so she's going to give that back by saving her friends and her family and the planet she loves. Even despite Nicole's protest, Sally ends up sacrificing herself to the the roboticizer. Basically, she has Nicole uh, uh, hack into the system and reroute the laser to point into their direction instead of maybe pointing out this to the left or the right, she has it point out uh, plot, convenient, plot conveniently into Sally's direction, and Sally takes on the full blunt of the roboticizer and thus gets turned into Mecha Sally and becomes a servant of Eggman for a while. Now, her run at the end of 2:30. And into 231 and all up to 247 and even some issues of Sonic Universe was initially about a about a year and a half, almost two, yeah, about a little over a year and a half run. It was a year and a half run for her as Mecha Sally. Now... The reason for this according to I guess Ian Flynn is cuz he wanted to show that not everybody was acceptable, not all characters were acceptable, stuff like that. And there were a lot of fans including yours truly that weren't too happy about this. As a matter of fact from basically 230 to all the way to 247, even though I still subscribed, I you know still subscribed and got the issues for From the main comic perspective, for a year and a half, for one year, three months, or no, one year, five months, I did not read the comics. I didn't read them until 247. And as soon as we got to 248, that's when I decided to open up all 17 issues. in all 16, yeah, all 17 issues, you know, all one year and five months worth. And I read every single issue. I, did a, I typed up a review of the overall arc from then to now. I typed up an overall review of it. I did an overall video review of it. Because like I said, I, I, promised, myself, I had promised everybody I was going to do that. And there you go. Now, after the first crossover between Sonic and Mega Man, which was called Worlds, uh, Worlds Collide i um, the series was softly rebooted and retconned. The reason being, and I'm sure a lot of us have talked about this already, was because of what was because of some legal issues behind the scenes between Ken Penders and Sega. Well, not Ken Penders, Sega and Archie, but mostly Ken Penders and Archie. So there were some legal issues behind the scenes. Now now Sally did come back because Sally's redesign was reintroduced, I think, in New- at a New York Comic Con. And I'm sure it got a standing ovation and everything. But Sally's redesign, the one you see here on the screen uh, throughout this entire video, was the one that was being created. Uh, was the one that was introduced. And Sally was brought back at the end of 252. You see Her in the shadows and everything. And it's throughout portions of the Countdown to Chaos episode that you see her... uh, Not episode, but uh, Countdown to Chaos uh, miniseries that you see her escaping the death egg and everything. And then finally, you see her uh, for the first time in action, in her new look and everything in 256. Yeah, it went from 253, 254, 255, 256. You finally see her. You finally see her. And it's still Sally. I mean, the design's very Sally-like. The only thing is she's different. She's got a different look. You know, different clothing look. She has shorts now. Well, she basically has what you see here on the screen. She has all of that. And like I said, not many people are fans of the fact that she is now... Um you know that she is now fully clothed. Not fans of the fact she's segified and everything, but she's still Sally. You could see that. There are many uh panels and drawings that still have her looking like Sally. So yeah. She was brought back and here you go. The only thing that some fans don't like, the only thing some fans don't like Is the fact that Sega... And this is where Jawbreaker was doing his uh, mandates video. Sega had put down the mandates that Sonic could not have a relationship with anybody. That no Sega characters could have a relationship. The only exception could be comic book characters or Stati Amp characters. That's why you have Antoine and Bunny married. You know, and some others as well. But still, Sonic cannot have a relationship. Not even... Amy can have a relationship with Sonic cuz no game characters can have relationships. But hopefully as time goes on, Sega will kind of lift that a little bit and be like okay fine, you know they can have something. But you know, but you know right now Sonic and Sally are still looked up. Uh, I mean, Sonic and Sa- I mean Sally's relationship is with Sonic right now in the Soft Retcon reboot and I know a lot of people get sick and tired of people m- of me calling it that. But their relationship right now is that of best friends, of BFFs, if you will. However, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean they won't get together. Again, hopefully Sega will lighten up on the mandates and say, "Okay, he can have a relationship with her, but it can't be as you know, as in your face as it was before. It's got to be like, okay, the boyfriend girlfriend, but." You know, they gotta put their mission, their adventures first, and that da, da 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 whatever. Hopefully that'll happen. I'm not saying it will, but hopefully I'm not saying it I'm not saying it's going to happen, you know, right away, but hopefully as we go into the new year and everything, it will occur. When and how, I do not know. But hopefully it'll be soon. And again, because I know I know a lot of fans are not too happy at the fact that, you know, they're not together. I mean, heck, you have fans on Devenart and several other places, like Jay Foxfire and Chavalis, or Cavalis, if you will, who does great uh, animations, if you will. You have her, you have both these ladies, you have several others out there. You have Sonic Saddam, X-93, I believe, as well as a few others that are... Not too fond of the fact that Sonic and Sally are not together. I mean, even Jawbreaker has said he's not too happy about this. And you have fans like Jay Foxfire, Chavelis, and a few others, you know, creating comics, uh, pictures, and all that of Sonic and Sally together. Heather with Sally in her current uh, redesign. So they have a lot of that out there. The only thing is, it's up to Sega to allow that mandate to just kind of slowly lift the grip on these mandates and say, okay, go ahead, give them a relationship. But I think with Sega... This is my honest opinion. I think if Sega does let Sally get back together with Sonic, it's going to be more, like I say, along the lines of something very similar to Sat A.M. Like, and I think that's what Ian wanted to do, make the relationship in the comics similar to Sat A.M., to where, like, you know, they're together, you know they uh, have an interest in each other, da da da, but it's not in your face. It's not like, okay, little boyfriend, girlfriend are always gonna hold their hands, da, da da da. No. It's basically very reminiscing and similar to Sat AM, where you know there's something there between them, they acknowledge it at times, but it's not in your face. So hopefully. Hopefully that'll be lifted and maybe we might see something in the future maybe overall though Sally, from a character standpoint, when you look at it from a comic standpoint, has gone through a lot especially in the comics from everything that I've mentioned up till now she has gone through a lot. I mean it takes a, I mean it took her one of her BFF's Nicole to kind her to kind of remind her that hey you know. You're the one in this world that inspired Dulce... that inspired Lupe. You inspired Dulce. You know, you cannot take any... you cannot take the full brunt of responsibility or fault of anything happening on your, by yourself. You can't do this. And the reason Sally acted like that and that was in 257 was the fact that she still remembered what she had done in the old timeline. You see... One of the key plot points was Nicole was literally the key, and I had called this out a long time ago, Nicole was literally the key to them, to Sally, Tails, Bunny, Rhoda, and Antoine getting their memories back from the old world, from the old world. That, that, that was, she was basically the plot element, the key, if you will, of the, sorry about that, mouth was getting dry. Uh, of them getting the memories back from the old timeline, from the old world. So, yeah. Nic- yeah, Sally had to have help from her BFFs to realize that. And throughout the issues and throughout the comic, you kind of see that as well, because even in the more recent one, you know, you have Bunny telling Nicole, hey, don't worry, Sally's going to realize someday she's not. Lo- she's just as acceptable to cash is it's just an acceptable casualty and everything like everybody else. So basically, Bunny, in her own sense, is in her own way, is saying, hey, Sally's going to realize she's not as perfect as she thinks she is. See? And that, in a sense, for those that don't like Sally, that's the comic book's way or Ian's way of saying, hey, look, Sally does have her faults, and eventually she's going to realize that, and she has. And she can be a little bit immature and hypocritical because, you know, like I I said in my review, uh, there's a scene where she, after they uh, succeed in their mission, where she calls Sonic out for his recklessness of what him and Loop did to destroy the E-100 Tau. But yet Nicole has to point out her hypocrisy because she pulled the same stunt with Nicole in Spark of Life. And Sally basically not wanting to hear anymore, go like, "Yeah, can't argue with adults." And again, that's where Bunny comes in and says, "Hey, don't worry, she's going to learn. She's just as acceptable as the casualties and everybody as everybody else, or something like that." So uh, overall, overall, you know, like I said, Sally's gone through a lot, and as much as may many people may not like it, the soft retcon reboot of her has helped. Help to be more, I guess, likable in the eyes of some. Because it does show she has faults. She's not perfect. She is acceptable. She can be a little immature at times. Like, you know, with the whole, you know, closing Nicole and everything. And saying, yeah, I can't argue with results and everything. Basically not wanting to hear anymore. Basically, they had, basically it was her way of saying, okay, okay. Basically it was her way of saying, yeah, I get it, I get it. I did the same thing. You know, you don't have to rub it in (laughs) In and everything. So, Um, Overall, though, like I said, Sally has gone, as far as the comics go, has gone through a lot, like I said, from everything I've mentioned to now. And even in the cartoon series, she's gone through a lot as well. And we can only wonder what was planned for the third season, but we'll never know. But thankfully, you have people over at sonicsatam.com, like Laura Blue and a few others, that are um, basically uh, trying to bring that third season to life somehow through webcomics and even through animation. Excuse me. So, overall, definitely, you know, Sally is definitely a character that if you don't know much about her now, read up on her and enjoy. Because I guarantee you, folks, this is a character that you will intently enjoy, not just for what she's gone through character-wise and historically from a character perspective, but overall it's a character you can relate to, somewhat. So that's all I'm going to say for this over 60-minute, one-hour edition of the Animated Girl's Profile Confidential on Sally Acorn. Yes, it was a little longer than yours, Jarbreaker. It's a little longer than yours, but hey, what can I say? So let me.